0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Shaky Knees Music Festival begins today, and soon flocks of fans are going to be streaming into Atlanta's Central Park. One of the acts that you can catch this afternoon.
2: I feel so blue.
1: Atlanta-based soul and R&B musician Curtis Harding. You're listening to a song, Need Your Love, as we kick off a conversation with Curtis, who's back home, joining me now in the studio. Hello and welcome. Hi. Hi.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So you were actually born in Saginaw, Michigan. I was. But your family came to Atlanta when? When you were in your teenage years?
2: Yeah, um, like 23 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother and my father are both um, from, from the South, mother's from Alabama, my dad's from Tennessee.
1: I mean, you moved around a lot before that, right?
2: Yeah, quite a bit.
1: So, Elena, do you feel like it's
2: home? Of course, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of family, my immediate family's here, my mom, my, my pops and
1: who are, my sisters. Your, your dad's a mechanic, your mom, Dorothy Harding, uh, was very involved in church and a traveling mm-hmm. gospel singer. So you started performing with her at a pretty young age. What are some memories of that time? Do you remember like your first time on stage?
2: I do not remember my first time on stage, uh, which goes to show I was very young. Um, I do have memories of of singing with her on multiple occasions and with my sisters and and family, other family members and just people in congregations across America in so, church.
1: You've been singing in front of people for a really long time.
2: Yeah, for a long time. Is it old hat to you or
1: does it still feel new and exciting when you're doing it?
2: It's, uh, it is an old hat. I've been doing that for a long time. Yeah, I've been Wearing doing that it. hat for a while.
1: <laughs> so microphone always close to your mouth.
2: Microphone check. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that must be something, though. You know, the audience comes to those shows, they always want to hear the hits. So what is that like for you? You know, they want to hear Need Your Love again.
2: Well, it's, you know, the cool thing about songs like that is that it excites people and makes them happy. So, But it's it's just a, it's just a song. It's just like any song that that I have to do over and over again. It's, it just becomes a repetitive, mm-hmm. monotonous kind of. You
1: got to figure out thing. some way to make it new.
2: Yeah, you have to find new and creative ways to present them to yourself first, and then to the audience to to keep it um, new and exciting. I don't know, because like once I record the song, actually, I'm kind of just done with it. And it's like, all right, this is what it is.
1: Okay, you're that kind of a creative guy.
2: Yeah, I like to move on. Yeah, I like to keep them, keep them coming.
1: We're trying to decode Curtis Harding right now. <laughs> 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 well, outside of singing with your mother, you started your own music, your career with a number of collaborations, hip-hop group Proceed, and while doing promotion for LaFace Records, you met CeeLo Green. What did that? Right. Where did that bring you?
2: Um, it brought me to musical collaboration with him, writing, uh, sang backup uh, for him for a number of years, and just a lot of... Uh, relationships and friendships That are still alive And blooming this day mm-hmm. So yeah, it, was, it was good
1: And you sang on his album 2010 Lady Killer There was a track there that you co-wrote Called Grand
2: Canyon If I could i walk right across the sky
1: What do you remember of that song? Or did you have you already moved on from that?
2: I have actually, you know what? I haven't revisited that song um in a long time. I think that was that song actually came out on the special edition CD if I'm not in those days of CDs.
1: <laughs> I remember what those are.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was a beautiful song.
1: You also collaborated with Cole Alexander of the band The Black Lips. We just spoke to them last week. They're also playing at Shaky Knees. So you've, you know, performed this variety of gospel, soul, R&B. And so after collaborating with so many different people, how did you find your own sound with that?
2: Um, you just kind of you you take the good things from, you know, very selfishly from people that you work with and you add them to your repertoire and you just you keep it. You keep it going in a, in a positive fashion.
1: You've called your own style of music slop and soul.
2: What does that mean? Um, nothing and everything at the same time. <laughs> all
1: right, I need you to decode that for us
2: <laughs> Well, at the time, um, I figured if I didn't call it something, somebody else would So I was like, hmm, what can I call it? You know, like the Black Lips had Flower Punk and the Growlers had Beach Goth I was like, all right, Slop and Soul sounds good
1: But Slop and Soul, I yeah. mean, those two together
2: Well, yeah, you know, Soul is the foundation um, And just Slop is, to me, at the time I was and not a very good guitar player And still kind of just like getting my chops up and I, you know it's like on the farm slop is is what you give the pigs is and it's a an amalgamation of just like everything that you that's from the table and feed and whatever else that helps sustain the farm and it flows and it's funky it's runny Sometimes, you know, it, it, it sustains the farm. So I was like, all right, that, that makes sense. You know, my music is a mixture of different genres and different ideas. So always and still being influenced by my friends, by, by art in general, um, just people, conversations that I have. Yeah, Slop and Soul, with Soul being the foundation. So that's where that came from.
1: Are there any conversations like, you know, a young musician might ask you, what's something somebody told you that really made a difference? Any of those come to mind? I know you're halfway hmm. through your first cup of
2: coffee now, so <laughs> hmm, some advice, huh? Is someone or just a conversation? Uh, one time, a guy told me I was going through a very dark time. He was like, Curtis, you know, the darkness is fine. You, you will find you always find you. Just seek out the light, you know. So that was something that always stuck with me. Um, as far as just like. Vocally, CeeLo told me one time, he was like, you know, you don't have to push it all the way with your with your vocal styles. You just have to, like, mean it. So sometimes you you just do, like, a, a simple run. But the way he put it, it was, like, in terms of, like, you just, you don't have to commit murder the <laughs> first time you go. You just do a simple assault and battery. And I, I was like, oh, okay. All right. That makes, I think that makes sense. Like, which means what he was saying is like you don't have to be so, in, in singing you do like a bunch of runs sometimes. It's like, oh, you go all over the map. But you're, well, sometimes you just have to just sing it to the point to where you mean what you say and then people would get it. so
1: Oh, that's yeah. I, it reminds me of, who was it, Art Blakey said that sometimes in the music it's the pauses.
2: Yeah. Like you don't have to be yeah. throwing
1: it at it every, exactly. all the time. You don't
2: have to throw it out there all the time. So as long as you mean what you say, like I said, you don't technically have to be the best singer. You just have to like mean it, sing it, sing it with feeling.
1: Well, let's hear a little bit of you meaning it. This is from uh, your 2014 album, Soul Power. This is Freedom.
2: Wherever you go, there you are, smiling on you from a
1: Curtis Harding singing Freedom. That is from his 2014 album. Now he's here in Atlanta. He's going to be performing at Shaky Knees this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Really something to see. All right, so you you don't push it all the time, but you do have a really broad vocal range, including a distinctive falsetto. Was that something that you naturally developed, singing with your mom, or did you ever, you know, take lessons?
2: No, I never took lessons. It was definitely something natural that just happened. Mm. I was like, oh, wow, I can do that that's cool so you know it's just a thing that just happened don't know where it comes from
1: and you got to test it all out there uh, singing with your mom how did and so was she encouraging you on was she I don't know somebody that I think oftentimes when you're with a parent Mm -hmm. there's a whole different dynamic there there's pride there's joy what was it for you and your mom do you think
2: uh she encouraged me the to sing in church she didn't encourage me to do other stuff that's that's the only thing she wanted me to do
1: but did she you know there are the old stories of people's parents don't want them to get away from the church music uh, of course not
2: uh, no nah, she she was adamant about me staying um just doing gospel music and doing what she wanted um or what she thought that you know I should do
1: then let's talk about your music. A few years later in 2017, you release your second album, recorded in New York with some production from Danger Mouse and Sam Cohen. It's called Face Your Fear. What does that mean? You talked earlier about being told to find the light. What does it mean to face your fear?
2: I mean, you know, you just have to— uh, I think that when people are, are afraid, you're kind of easily manipulated into doing certain things. And if you face your fear, even small things, just like, you know— fear flying or something then you're you're you leave yourself open to to gain new experiences and learn possibly learn and meet people that you might have never even thought you would know and that that opens you up to like you know a brighter future um broadens your horizon so super simple
1: let's hear a little bit from that album this is the opening track it's called wednesday morning atonement So this is a story we're here and there of a father missing his children. What inspired this?
2: Uh, not recording for a long time. I was uh, I was kind of on a high. trying to figure out what I wanted to do next and who I wanted to work with, and I felt like I was neglecting music and just songwriting.
1: So um, those were kind of your children in right. a way that exactly. you were trying to grow.
2: Exactly. So that's where that that's where that concept came from. But I mean, it took it kind of took on a deeper meaning. Um, once the song came to to life, to fruition, and it's it can be translated into a a song about a father who, like literally, has been missing his children. So, but for me, it's it's about music
1: and atonement. That is a that is a word that has a lot of different, a lot of different mm-hmm. layers of meaning. Right. Um, I'm wondering about you know the kind of redemptive spirit from. That old gospel tradition, does that, mean, does that still carry something for you?
2: <laughs> yeah, I believe so. Mm-hmm. It's there. But, I mean, that's once the song was done, that was the atonement that, was, that, that happened for me. The
1: kids were birthed there.
2: Yeah, crying. I mean, this, I, that was it. That was the apology.
1: 2018 yeah. was a huge year for you, too. You released two singles, It's Not Over and Where We Are, and you embarked on a U.S. and European tour opening for Lenny Kravitz. What was that experience like? Yeah, was, big, big arenas, I'm guessing. Big yeah, shows. We, we
2: played some Roman Coliseums, like literally. It was it was wild. It was great. Lenny is really down to earth. But he is a rock star. He's one of the last rock stars, in my opinion. And in a lot of other people's opinions, too, that I've talked to. But it was a great experience just to see that, um, just to see him live on that on that sort of scale and still killing it night after night. Mm. Him and his band.
1: So Amazing. he's got he's got to make friends with those songs over and over again too.
2: Yeah, yeah he does. But they find a way to do it. You know, it's, I I think it's a, it's this he definitely plays in a different arena. A different. It's a it's a different kind of uh vibe. And it's a great vibe and it's one that I appreciate and that um I don't think is done anymore on that scale. We've lost a lot of people like in the past 3 years, 3 or 4 years that knew how to do that night after night. Because it wasn't just about, it's about the music always, but it's, but being able to put on a performance, Mm. you know, it's like something completely different than just getting up there and just playing a song. So being able to do that night after night is amazing to see. And I think that people are gonna miss Lenny when he decides to hang it up.
1: Well, as we wrap up, you're performing just after two today at the Petrie stage at Shaky Knees. What's it like to be the hometown act for a big festival like this?
2: It's great. I get to, like, lay on my sofa and roll up to the venue, not to the park, (laughs) and and play some shows, then go back and lay on my sofa (laughs) for a second at least.
1: Well, thank you for pausing from all
2: of that to talk with us today. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's been great.
1: Curtis Harding, Atlanta-based soul R&B musician, let's say slop and soul musician, performing at Shaky Knees Music Festival today at 2 o'clock. And we're going to leave you with another song from Curtis Harding called Where We Are. Peace! Coming up, Beyonce stopped the world again when she dropped Homecoming. Up next, take a seat at the table with Christine and Deneen as they dig through its many layers of meaning. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for that and more on Second Thought.
2: We walked around the sun went down as the skyline the
1: stars you about my... We're back with on Second Thought. GPB Education is celebrating Georgia STEM day today and we're joining them to highlight kids who excel at science, technology, engineering and math like these. Getting to work with other students that are interested in engineering from a young age kind of prepares you for all of the collaboration that engineering as a field requires. First Lego League really, it focuses on developing problem-solving skills while incorporating STEM and fun into learning. Those kids participated in the first Lego League World Competition. And you can find lots more inspiration and practical tools for learning at gbb.org slash education on this Georgia STEM Day and every day. Beyoncé's bleacher-thundering, exquisitely choreographed performances at the Coachella Music Festival in 2018 showed a performer at the top of her game. Queen Bee managed to stop the world again with the release of Homecoming, a live double album and Netflix documentary about what it took to put those two successive weekend productions together. Homecoming has been dissected and analyzed and picked apart in so many ways, but we wanted to get a deeper point of view. And who better to navigate those nuances than Christine White and Deneen Milner? They're co-hosts of GBB's A Seat at the Table. And now they're jumping into this seat.
0: This is Christine
3: White. And I'm Deneen Milner, and we are co-hosts of Georgia Public Broadcasting's A
0: Seat at the Table. And this is For the Culture. Today, we're breaking down the cultural significance of Homecoming, a film by Beyonce. The mega superstar made her legendary 2018 Coachella performance, a documentary for the streaming service, Netflix, and it came out a couple weeks ago. It was a huge
3: deal. Okay, can I just tell you that I had a party like a whole lot of other people when it came on. I plotted out, we had food, we had drinks, and we all wore hot pants and we <laughs> sat on the sofa and we turned on that show. And I think I might have had my fist in the air the entire time. It was so beautiful in so many different ways. And today we're going to explain why.
0: It was empowering. Monikered Baychella because she took over Coachella, the biggest festival, music festival in the country that brings in about 100,000 people. Beyonce was the first black woman to headline Coachella in its 20 year history. And that is a big deal. But what she brought to the stage is a
3: bigger deal absolutely but you you know when she opened it with lift every voice and sing mm-hmm. you knew exactly where she was going with mm-hmm. it right mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. lift every voice and sing is what it is the, the black Na- national, national anthem. anthem that is everything to every black
0: person in america so The Black National Anthem was written by James Weldon Johnson in the 1900s, who used to work for the NAACP. That song became the official song of the NAACP and then became just a rallying cry in churches and schools for black people all over America and ultimately all over the world. It is in multiple hymnal books across the world, in uh, multiple translations. The song is just a... cry for folks who are seeking liberation and the fact that Beyonce started her show with this song that as a graduate of HBCU Spelman College in the house hey um we started every ceremony with Lift Every Voice and Sing and of course as you know growing up in like black church there's so much of that energy so much of that music in what we grew up in and so it's It's just, it it was a message to all of us who know how powerful that song is. And she was really making a statement. I mean, she didn't really say it's kind of messed up that she's the first black woman, but she did say... She did
3: kind of say that.
0: (laughs) 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 She said it with an expletive. As a matter
3: of fact, when she sang that song i knew that she was being really subversive like what i was about to see Mm. was about to be some of the blackest stuff that i'd ever seen so why do you say subversive subversive because you know when a black person stands up in front of a predominantly white audience like coachella is right there's you know it's, it's a sea of white faces and, like, a couple of pieces of pepper sprinkled in. Mm-hmm. And when you stand up and you sing the Black National Anthem to a sea full of of, of white people, I say that you're being subversive because you know that they don't know right. what, uh you know, what Lift Every Voice and Sing is and specifically what it means. When we hear it, right, we, what it, means it, us. It, it, it digs into the soul. It, it takes you back to Sunday morning morning right. when you stood up in church and it was what you sang before you sang anything else you sang that song and you sung all four verses and
2: <laughs> all the words <laughs> right and you
3: say it with your fist in the air fist in the air and so that she was standing on stage and she opened up after that regal walk introduction yes <laughs> regal walk right and then she stood up and she said i'm the first black woman to headline coachella and then she opened up with lift every voice and sing I knew that what she was about to do was for me. Right. Everybody else was allowed to
0: watch, but what she was doing was doing it for me. Well, Beyoncé told Vogue magazine that she didn't think the audience would completely understand, but they would feel the essence and the spirit of what she was trying to bring. And in addition to bringing that historic black history to the stage she also infused that she gave us a bird's eye view into what it is to be at a hbcu i mean every single element of the show was peppered with with a homage to hbcu culture at an hbcu the homecoming is really not about the football game it is about the band and the band performance. Halftime is Half- daytime. Right? Listen, <laughs> halftime <laughs> is game time. Halftime is showtime. It is the highlight of the year. That's the funny. fact that she named this whole movie Homecoming is just um, a tip of the hat. But everything from the costumes to the choreography to the way that she entered with, with the dance team and the way that the the uh, drumline held their drums and danced the way that historically black bands dance, which is very different than the way a band dances at a PWI, a predominantly white institution. Right, right. At a PWI, it's still sort of harsh angles, lines. Um, And sometime in the 60s or the 50s, the bands at historically black universities started to change the way they do band choreography, the way that they do band arrangements. Mm -hmm. And so they started intermixing contemporary music with old school music and like your favorite DJ. Right. When the band starts to play, you know the song and the whole stadium goes crazy Absolutely. because you didn't expect them to play the Gap Band. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
3: yes. Uh, Uncle Frankie and Beverly and Elm, right? Yes. And, and so th- what I loved, uh, well, you know, I went to a PWI. predominantly yes, uh, you know. White Institution. And got a great education, I'm and sure. And got a great education, but you know, I got more Education around homecoming time because we would hop in the car and drive down. We would find a a, a HBCU and we would show up just so that we could watch halftime. Listen, it is a
0: pilgrimage for most folks to come to. Whether you went to a HBCU or not, it's an opportunity for you to just bask in the beautiful culture that is an explanation of everything that we've been through from everywhere. You know, it's interesting because. African-American folk, we were discriminated against and we were marginalized for so long. And in so many ways, we came up with this very unique culture. And the culture regionally had its own culture. But when you go to a historically black college or university, the cultures collide. For all those regional cultures, the Midwest, the Southeast, the West. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Deneen
3: Milner and Christine White from A Seat at the Table. And this is for the culture. We're recapping Beyonce's iconic homecoming film on Netflix.
0: So we know that this was an homage to HBCUs because she and her team did a lot of research. They actually hired somebody straight from Georgia. They hired Don Roberts, who is a band consultant. He used to be the band director for Southwest DeKalb High School, which is a mighty, amazing Mm -hmm. band here in DeKalb County. So if you recognize people on the stage during the performance, it might be because they came from a high school that you went to here in Georgia, and a lot of them ended up going to HBCU. Use. Hey. So what 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 was your favorite part? What how did it make
3: you feel? Because I know when we were sitting on the couch and we were watching, it was just
0: Beyonce is a force in and of herself. Yes, yeah, she is. She was so vulnerable. So there were these outtakes between performances where she talked about being a mother, mm-hmm. where she talked about having a difficult Pregnancy, She showed herself with no makeup on. Right. <laughs> I mean. And still fine. And still fine. She <laughs> came in there jiggly with baby weight. We saw her mess up a- in rehearsal. And she actually said, I didn't think I would ever be able to do this. Now she did. She made it happen. It right. may have taken 17 hour days, but there was something to be said about the determination and people online and on social media the next day were saying, you think that you have prepared Beyonce <laughs> doesn't just get on stage and do her thing with 200 people and everybody synchronized. No, they practice 20 hours a day, maybe 20 is a lot, but 17 hours a day, right. day for months. Right. I mean, she we saw that they were practicing Six, seven months for eight months.
3: For eight months, right and right after she dropped those babies, her
0: twins. Yeah. So I mean. It's just another, I don't know, reference to the strength and the creativity of Black people, and she referenced that all throughout. Well, that's what I—that's what I
3: particularly loved because it was just an homage to Blackness, yeah. right? It was she wasn't afraid to stand up on that international stage and say, "This is us." So it wasn't to me just about HBCUs and yeah. homecoming; it was about Black people. When yeah. you hear um, a reggae song. Yes. into interwoven in there and you see everybody doing the dances and they're, they're moving wine, their
0: wine. right
3: <laughs> yes and she's saying you know there's something beautiful about black bodies yes and the way that they move and the way that they flow and how they um, they're just beautiful she made you look Really look. Stop and look. Don't just see the whole spectacle, but stop and pay attention to what she's saying. She's saying, look at these bodies. Some of them are skinny. Some of them are big. Some not everybody is what, you know, and I'm saying air quotes here is perfect. Right. And they are moving their bodies in a way that is just pure art yeah. and she was making everyone look at the black body in a different kind of way I appreciated that as a black woman who spent a, you know an enor- enormous amount of time you know feeling away about my shape and how it didn't fit into, so- into so- pop cultural and societal standards yes. and so to have this woman standing up and performing for my daughters right. for your daughter right. for all of these other people who aren't necessarily fighting that fight every day and need to understand What's truly beautiful—the the the human body and movement—is beautiful, not necessarily what you have in your mind as perfection. That meant something, yeah. right? And yeah. that was way bigger than just you know like how syncopated the drum line was, right. or how dope the twins were when they were right. doing their dance in front of everybody. <laughs> and that's that was the 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 cultural significance well, for me.
0: It was intentional, right? right? She was very intentional about bringing performance art that grew out of. A a tradition of segregation of historically black colleges and universities. And we know that these institutions struggle. They struggle to, to find funding. They they are attacked from, you know, from the government. They are attacked from folks who think that, you know, HBCUs is a thing of a past. Right. And so we kind of have to struggle to... to um, explain our identity and explain our culture. And she brings it to the forefront and says, it's worthy. It doesn't have to be explained. It doesn't need to be explained. It's worthy just the way it is. And the intentionality was shown through the way that she used the quotes, the quotes from Maya Angelou, the quotes from Nina Simone that said, black people are beautiful and we are a part of the human makeup and all of us can appreciate the culture of black folks. It wasn't just for black folks, although the Nina Simone quote was specifically about Black folks recognizing their own beauty. Absolutely. But Beyoncé knew she was in front of an audience of white folks, and she wanted them to recognize... That's right. ...the beauty of black people... Particularly in this history that we have here in America that has been so hurtful and harmful to people and continues to be. So, you know, she has really grown as an artist and grown as a woman in her identity as a, a black woman, as a feminist. I mean, she is bringing everything to the table. And and that's what I
3: love about her growth as you know and and as an artist. Well, I didn't see this coming for Beyonce, who was in you know started out in, in Destiny's Child. You know she was singing. I don't think you' ready for this jelly and you know, bugaboo. And you know they were great pop songs. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is that never did we imagine that this little girl from tech from from Houston, Texas, Texas, right, with this country accent, yes. And this, you know, like this this black girl Coke bottle uh, you know body, body mm-hmm. would be standing in front of an international stage and pointing. At us mm-hmm. and saying, Look at us, look, look at, at how, how beautiful, beautiful this are. is. Yes,
0: yes. Right? I mean, but you know, her dad graduated from Fisk, another shout out to HBCUs. <laughs> her mom is Creole from New Orleans, That's I mean, right. or from Louisiana. Right. I mean, so she has this very deep heritage. And even though she was a teenager when Destiny's Child first came out, we see the evolution of Beyonce. And that person is the person who gave scholarships to people who go to HBCUs after this performance, um, who's reaching out to communities and doing good work. I mean, writing all manner of checks to folks to help them out. So, uh, we, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of what she has become. And I loved I can't wait to see who she's going to become and who these babies are going to become.
3: Mm. Ooh, and, oh, th- th- and there's three of them. You know, man. she said. Inter- intergenerational wealth forever yes. and ever. Amen. I am Deneen Milner, and this is Christine White. And we are hosts of Georgia Public Broadcasting's A Seat at the Table. We're talking about Beyonce. When we come back, we're going to talk about Beyonce, the woman, the businesswoman, the businesswoman who manages to use her art and her culture and her love of us to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this
0: is For the Culture. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is Christine White and Deneen Milner. We're co-hosts at A Seat at the Table, and this is For the Culture.
2: I wanted a black orchestra.
1: I wanted the steppers, I needed the vocalists, I wanted
0: different characters. I didn't want us all doing the same thing. And the amount
1: of swag is just limitless. And um, I wanted every person that has ever been dismissed because of the way they look, to feel like they were on
3: that stage. And that's what I absolutely loved about (laughs) Homecoming and what I love about Beyonce because she has grown into this artist who uses her art to make very specific social statements. And with Homecoming, the very specific statement for me Mm -hmm. watching it was um, that Black people are beautiful, that our culture is beautiful, that our traditions are amazing, and that Even if you don't know what they are, you've never witnessed them before, you're going to see this magic. And that's what I absolutely loved about that. Lemonade, the album, did very much the same thing. Yeah, it did. Um, You know, that sort of shined a light on black women. I feel like that's how she came. I think Lemonade, for me, represents when Beyonce fully realized her womanhood. Her power. Her power as a woman. And just... The things, you know, when you get to that point right. in your life where you go from Listen. child right. to, to grown grown girl to grown woman, woman. <laughs> okay? <laughs> uh, right, right, right. I'm not fitting into whatever little box that you thought you had me in. I'm not going to sit here and cater to what you think I should be. Right. I'm going to use my mind, my my power and my magic for myself. And you can either get on this train while right. I'm you know, leading it, or you can just go ahead and drop and jump the off. The
0: world really responded interestingly to Beyonce and when she came out with Lemonade because I mean, if you remember the SNL clip where the folks are sitting watching lemonade and then all of a the sudden they go, Wait, Beyonce is black? <laughs> Beyonce's black! (laughs) Beyonce's black! I mean, it was hilarious because that's how a lot of folks responded. She had never talked about or shown or expressed her her cultural heritage in a way that made white folks a bit uncomfortable. Right. I mean, in some of our conversations with some white women, they were like, I was uncomfortable watching Homecoming. I was kinda uncomfortable watching Lemonade because right. they're not used to seeing right. black women express themselves Listen,
3: fully. You remember what happened when she came onto the Super Bowl halftime show dressed up like the Black Panthers.
0: Oh yes. Oh, how right? can we forget that? Right? Absolutely. Yes, she is actually, now that I think about it, every single time she gets on a stage, she has a statement to make. Back to Lemonade, though, she had a visual album. Right. And the imagery of this visual album was phenomenal. It was based on the coast somewhere in the south, and you could see the moss hanging from the trees. That's right. And what we realized, for some of us who had been exposed to this culture, was that she was really paying homage to this film from the 90s, Daughters of the Dust. Which was my absolute
3: Obsession. I saw it in, I believe, junior year. Wow. And I'm, I'm from New York, right? So I right. had never been exposed to that sort of thinking of the South. My parents, my mom is from South Carolina, my dad's from Virginia. My mom comes from a Gullah culture, but, you know, I grew up in Long Island. That wasn't really right, right. what she sort of brought to the table, right. so to speak. Um, and so to see that movie and see these that movie by Julie Dash, right. who is this amazing filmmaker yes. who celebrated um, the coast of... Uh, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and North Carolina. Yes. Um, and sort of what happened uh, with the Great Migration of this one family that had been on this same island, Sapelo Island, for century, or, or well,
0: yes. through slavery, right? right? For decades, right, for, 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 for generations, decades, right, for
3: generations. And they are, you know, there's a sort of a test of wills between the ones who want to stay on their ancestral land, or at least the the, the ancestral land that they were brought to here. Right. right. And those who wanted to start a new life by moving up north right. and become uh, more, uh, you know, uh, to adopt a different kind of culture. And so it's, This magic, this beauty, this culture, this very specific way of being that was explored in that movie. And I became obsessed with the coastal lines of, you know,
0: the South, specifically because of that movie. That is so interesting that you had that reference point. I was not introduced to Daughters of the Dust until I saw Lemonade. Oh, And as a black woman growing up in Georgia, I feel like I should have known this history. <laughs> like somebody was holding out on me. Right. But I'm going to tell you that the fact that it took a pop star in the 2000, what was it, 12, right. 14, right. to share this piece of, of amazing black culture that was overlooked and marginalized. And I think to Beyonce's point, she wants everyone who's ever felt marginalized to feel represented through her work. absolutely, And boy, what a goal to set as an artist. Absolutely. I mean, she just takes the bar up higher and higher every album, right. every performance,
3: right. every year. Well, you know what she did with Beyonce, right? The the self-titled um, album with no. Beyonce. That's when I really felt like she was starting to make some statements. The whole album was about her celebration of feminism, yes, right? Absolutely. And just her... Finally recognizing that she's woman Mm -hmm. and that she has very specific things to say about what it means to be a woman in society that doesn't make as much money as a man, that uh, has to sort of take a backseat to the patriarchy, that doesn't have the kind of voice that is always looking to, like she said in Pretty Hurts, look pretty for everyone, fit into everybody's standards of beauty. And so she, I feel like she uh, there was an awakening there, right? And then Lemonade was like the exclamation point. Like, okay, now y'all know you know from, you know, Beyonce that I'm a woman and and, and Lemonade, we're gonna talk about how how I'm going to use my powers as a woman to get exactly what I want.
0: And I appreciated that she was like, yeah, you're Jay-Z, but guess what? what i'm good if you want to act up me and my baby we gonna have a good life
2: okay i
1: mean
0: we needed to hear that all across america that you gonna walk away from a man like jay-z because you are absolutely everything and everything you will ever need you are enough you are worthy that's the point and i think that she's done a great job of personifying that i mean when i watch beyonce on stage i get goosebumps Mm -hmm. and it's probably just the the conviction and her confidence and so i'm really thankful that i have this opportunity to, to listen to her
3: yeah yeah, Beyoncé is amazing.
0: You're listening to Danine Milner and Christine White. We're the co-hosts of A Seat at the Table and this is for the culture. You know what I loved about just circling back to Beyoncé
3: and the the actual album Beyoncé. Um I loved that she had something to say about black love, right? Yeah cuz that was before, you know, Jay-Z messed up. She would that was a whole, <laughs> whole that was a whole homage to, you know, the beauty of being in a loving, healthy relationship that had multiple conversations yes. some of it sexual yes. some of it about you know maintaining a healthy relationship mm-hmm. outside of sex some of it maintaining a healthy relationship with yourself so that you can be your full self for your partner mm-hmm. i really appreciated how she talked about relationships there. And yeah. then of course the other conversation about relationships that came when she and Jay Z made their album together, Everything Is Love, right? Because that um, brought in a whole nother conversation that was an absolute cultural social touchstone for uh for men. Right. Um as much as it was for women. So it was
0: about forgiveness. Right. It was about long suffering. Mm-hmm. It was about hold, staying in there, but maybe not this ride or die philosophy that we were taught in the '90s—that we just supposed to do whatever and kill ourselves for our men. No, there was some balance there. She holds these these seemingly disruptive ba- these disruptive identities at the same time in balance so she can hold being a lady but also kind of being a freak <laughs> and <laughs> right. she can hold being a black woman but also being a citizen of humanity right and she can hold loving her man but also i'm not gonna take no mess that's right you know so i love that about beyonce because we are full people and we are a, sometimes you know a walking contradiction right but we don't have to fit, like you said, into any one box. Mm-hmm. And she proves that to us over and over again. She also for someone who has spent a lot of time in Georgia is unapologetic about her southern roots. I got hot sauce in my bag, swag. I see. Which I love.
2: Which I got hot I sauce love. in my bag, swag.
3: Yes.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's just something to be said about the fact that the South has not always been. Revered,
3: Right. Well, when we think about the South, and this is speaking, I got a hand raised in the air because I was raised in the North. Right. And when we thought about the South from up there, um, you know, it was always sort of the negative parts right. of the South. We're talking about the Civil Rights Movement. Jim Crow. And Jim Crow. And KKK. And all of the ugliness that came with trying to settle right. um, the races and right. the relationship between the races. But we don't necessarily— Think about the beauty right. of Southern culture, right. the food. Right. We're talking about the traditions. We're talking about the accents. Right. Like, and I like that, I could sit and listen to a Southern accent,
0: <laughs> like I'm watching a movie. It and is that pure deep, poetry. Rich. culture of the South, which, you know, some of it changed when folks migrated to the North, Mm -hmm. but some of it, you know, stayed true. And I think that that's why we're seeing a Southern revival here in Georgia. I think that's why so many folks are flocking to Atlanta and flocking to other parts of the Mm -hmm. South, flocking to other parts of Georgia, because they see that there's so much depth and richness in the culture. And it's particularly as we get back to like those values of grandmama who had the farm, who had her little garden, we used to eat the tomatoes right off the vine. And you know everything. Every meal had something that was that was made out in the backyard, or that had been canned from the spring. All of those values, those those spiritual touch points. I mean, Beyonce prayed. You showed That's she showed right. herself praying. That's right during this Netflix a documentary, a very
3: southern yes.
0: experience for sure. So I think that there's just something to be said about owning who you are not that one is better than the other i mean i love y'all from long island y'all are cool too (laughs) lots of culture out there i'm just saying Georgia, (laughs) South Carolina, North Carolina, Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. Let me not forget nobody. We have something to say, as Outkast said. The South got something to say. The
3: South (laughs) got something to say. And Beyonce has something to say, too. And that is, you best to have my monies. Oh, my goodness. Can we talk just real quick Mm -hmm. about how Girlfriend Flipped? Um, we're not sure just how much she made. I know that right. she it hasn't made been this, confirmed. Right. But somewhere between $10 million and $12 million. Ironically, the same amount that Ariana Grande made. And nothing against Ariana Grande. I think she's cute. She loves good boys. <laughs> I, I she doesn't have music. as many Grammys she, as and Beyonce. And she is not Beyonce. Period. It doesn't, yeah. even have, it doesn't even matter if she had 20 more Grammys than Beyonce. She is not <laughs> Beyonce. Okay? But... You know who is Beyonce?
0: Beyonce. (laughs) Well, she's a boss. I mean, not only did she negotiate this incredible deal with Coachella so that she could have the rights to her performance and be able to distribute it, then she went and flipped it with Netflix and... I think it was a $60 million deal that they said for three movies. So this is only the first film from Beyonce. She's got two more coming up with Netflix. I mean, this is an incredible power move. And we've seen Jay-Z and Beyonce make these moves before, but they're not just making moves for their own pocketbook. They're contributing back to the community. I cannot tell you how many of my aunties love to say, well, Beyonce and Jay-Z ain't gave none. Well, first of all, (laughs) I happen to know specifically that they have their own foundations. Mm -hmm. Rock Nation has a foundation. Mm -hmm. Beyonce has Bay Good and that they are giving money to HBCUs and to folks in communities all over. Jay-Z had his Water for Life campaign. I mean, they're doing really big things. So let's not underestimate the power of this power couple and the impact that they're going to have on the black community. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know... There's so many beautiful
3: things. We could go on for a whole nother hour talking about this woman yeah. and just the impact that she's had on the culture. Homecoming was just something to behold. I love how she went out on the other black national anthem, which is a remake of Before I Let Go, Frankie, Beverly and Maze. There is not a black function for those who do not know. There is not a family union a barbecue
0: a cookout a cookout where folks sp- do not sing and right. dance to before, before I, I let, let you man. go and i just thought it was so interesting that yes. she chose that particular song before i let you go I mean, aside from the fact that the lyrics really speak to all of the hard work that everybody put in for to make um, the Coachella performance, I, but it was just, I mean, it's probably the pinnacle of ex- of music for black people and, and our R&B tradition. Right. And so for her to float out yes.
3: on her own special, you know, swagalicious version of Uncle... Uncle Frankie and them, right? Frankie Bellary and Mazes. Some people was mad I about her redoing it. They but were. I, I'm mad. I mean, you, can't, you can't touch you, you. know, we can have Listen. a whole other conversation about
0: that. You, right? You're
3: not supposed to touch Uncle Frankie. Uncle Frankies before I let you go. You, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, but she,
0: my daughter has a better appreciation for the song now. So I believe it. I believe it. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But the conversation does not have to end here. What did you love most about Beyonce Homecoming? Let us know on social media. We are at a s a t t. TV on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Extra special thanks to Christine White and Deneen Milner, two of the co-hosts from A Seat at the Table. And that's it for today. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, Leighton and Special thanks today to LaRaven Taylor. Jesse Nyswanger is our engineer. Don Smith, our dean of grammar. Amy Kiley is our senior producer. We invite your comments, questions, and civil complaints at our Facebook group, GPB Radio On Second Thought. We're on Twitter at OST Talk. You can email us at Thought. At gpb.org or leave us a message at 404-500-9457. We're here Monday through Friday at 9 or anytime when you subscribe to our podcast. Hit the Programs tab for On Second Thoughts at gpbnews.org to subscribe. I'm Virginia Prescott. Have a great weekend from On Second Thought and GPB.